All right, Matt. So I don't know if you know this, but there's a nudist colony not too far from us. You know, and it's got really, a, yeah, it's got this big fence around it, right? Well, Michael and I found a hole in the fence the other day. Mm-hmm. The police are currently looking into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm good. Good deal. Good. Good. So, real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with, and you can find some tips and tricks on podcasting. If you're wanting to get into the podcasting realm, it can help you out. So go over to podbelly.com, check it out. We also want to thank tonight's sponsor, Factor, and we will talk more about Factor Meals coming up here in a little bit. And while you're on the internet surfing, doing whatever it is you do on there, illegally downloading music from Napster or whatever. Um, Does that show my age? When when did it get back to 2000? (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, Go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales. You can sign up to become a patron. We've got multiple levels, one, five, and 10. And for our one and $5 members, they get a bonus episode every week. And for our $10 members, they get an ad-free version of the episode. If we have ads that week, you get an ad-free audio version of it. You get audio and video versions of the bonus episode. And we got a new show for our $10 patrons that's, that came out this month, February. It's brand new. So go over there and check it out. It is a... I would say a conversation show. It has nothing oh, yeah. to do with Graveyard Tales except for me and Matt. That's the right. only common denominator. Right. We're we're gonna have we're gonna have special guests. Uh we're gonna talk about some random stuff. It's just kind of a uh a peek into into our lives and what we talk about. It's it's a lot of fun. Um it is it is not like we said, it is not like graveyard tales at all. It's gonna um, be our our way of being able to cover topics and and talk to people that we want to talk to that yeah. don't fit into the graveyard tales genre. So right, yeah. if we have friends or meet people that do something cool, but it's not paranormal or mystery related, we'll pop over on SideQuest. Yeah, yeah. We're going to drag them on over. Exactly. And just so y'all know, it is probably a rated r show it, yep. it's it's not going to be clean full of innuendos like graveyard tales so if don't expect that when you go over there to that just be aware that you know don't get into it and go oh my god you didn't tell me you cussed well <laughs> yeah cuss we got dirty jokes it's it's just it, it's hanging out with me and matt on yeah on a normal yeah. basis so that's right that's right all right, Matt. So that's all I've got for housekeeping. So why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? So tonight we're going to talk about uh, 
a, a haunted hotel that is it's very unique um it's it's we've talked about similar places yep. um you know these these bohemian um residences the these places that just they they drew in artistic people not bohemian it, grove right right yeah <laughs> but but they they drew in artists musicians writers um you know any kind of 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 art it, it flourished here it was just this amazing conglomeration of all these people um over the years but it definitely left a mark um because you know if you if you've ever watched something like behind the music or if you've ever um if you've ever looked into the lives of some of the 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 more avant-garde uh, authors uh, from the sixties and seventies, you know, that their lives were full of just wild living tragedy, death, drugs, you name it. And all of that negative energy left a mark on the Chelsea hotel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it, it, it's a fascinating place and you know, they, it, it's been empty for what since about 2010 so partially spe- empty yeah partially empty but there's been a lot of speculation about the the residual paranormal sludge that's been left behind and what spirits might be still living there right right and uh, as with any place you know the history is vital but I think with this, the the history, the history is fascinating without any of the paranormal, but it does kind of give you an insight as to why this place would be so haunted and what spirits might be hanging out there because there are some famous ones. Oh yeah, for sure. And the history will be a little bit different on this one than what I normally do on history because... You know, normally I talk about who built it, how it's built, the land. But on this one, like Matt said, the people that were there are a little more important to the story of the hauntings than the land itself. So we're going to go through that. But as we always say, go check the sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all this information. And you can keep going if you want to look into more of the history that I don't cover, the land, the the building of it, all that stuff. Go there, find the links, and continue the research. Now, it's located at 222 West 23rd Street in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan in New York City. There's a lot of twos in that address. 222 23rd. <laughs> I know, but you know, it, it's it, it's got to be a heck of a lot easier to figure out where in the heck you are in New York City than it is like in Nashville, you know, because it's built on a grid and the right. numbers will tell you, oh, well, I'd not need to go over four more blocks to mm-hmm. get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you can't you can't really do that here. No, 
in Nashville, it's take a left on Demumbrian. Wait, that says Demon Brian. Uh, then go down to it. Yeah. Never know That's where you're going. That's always the one. That's always the one. I see it. I see it on TikTok and YouTube all the time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you're from Nashville if you know how to pronounce this street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm still not even sure we're pronouncing it right. I, I don't think y'all are, but I just went with the way y'all pronounced it. So I didn't sound like an idiot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and the other one that gets me is uh, it's not Lebanon. It's Lebanon. Oh, yeah, right. When I first moved up there, I'm like, oh, Lebanon, Tennessee. And everybody was like, where? That's yeah. Lebanon. I'm like, Lebanon? Lebanon? What is a Lebanon? <laughs> All right. So uh, the Chelsea Hotel opened in 1884, and it was designed by Philip Hubert as this 80-unit housing co-op. It was originally called the Chelsea Association Building. Now, Hubert said he wanted it to be a place where people from varied backgrounds and lifestyles would feel safe in sharing their lives in the spirit of collaboration. So from the beginning, even, yeah, even in 1884, mm -hmm, yep. From the beginning, he knew what he wanted it to be. And it certainly Mm -hmm. became that. Right. Now around 1900 or so, the building was turned into a quote rental outfit. It was a 12 story (laughs) building in the Victorian Gothic style. And it became a residence for people from all walks of life. As, as a lot of people say, you see it. Uh, quoted eclectic souls yeah, is, is how they put it. And I mean, I, I think it, that's a good way of putting it very yeah. eclectic group of people that have always been found at the Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Unique interests, um, maybe kind of outside of the mainstream, you mm-hmm. know, that, that mm-hmm. bo- bohemian. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's what it is. Yep. So quote, to my knowledge, it's the largest and longest lived artist community in the history of the world, says Cheryl Tippins, author of Inside the Dream Palace, The Life and Times of New York's Legendary Chelsea Hotel. And we got several quotes from her throughout both parts of this episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, quote, the mix of types of residents provides fodder for art. The doddering old ladies with their shocking stories from their past the lonely heiresses who come to take their lives there, the high fashion models struggling to manage their professional lives, the deli workers and taxi drivers and drug dealers, all mingling, conversing, and sharing their lives in the lobbies and elevators, in the roof gardens, and at El Quixote next door, says Tippins. Together, they comprise a human tapestry mirrored in paintings, songs, dances, compositions, sculpture, photographs, and stories and novels that have been created there. So even just from her quotes, this sounds like an artist heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, during the early 19th century, apartment developments in the city were generally associated with the working class. But by the late 19th century, apartments were also becoming desirable among the middle and upper classes. Well, between 1880 and 1885, more than 90 apartment buildings were developed in the city. So when I, when I read that and see if it's the same for you, 1880 to 1885, 90 apartment buildings seems like a lot for that, that time. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. But that could be because I'm from Texas and we didn't get going as a, a state. You know, we were the wild west kind of thing. Yeah. Pretty, pretty far into uh, the 1800s. So, you know, maybe they, they, I mean, you did have Ellis Island and stuff where people immigrated to. So I guess it makes sense, but it just seemed like a lot for that area. Now, Hubert and his partner first developed these buildings as housing for artists, but they put rental units in these buildings in order to defray the costs. Some of the buildings also provided servants as part of the building staff. The rental units and servants were also done to entice middle-class and upper-class New Yorkers to come live in these early apartment buildings. So they had a, they call them servants, but it, it's kind of like a staff, and like you would have at yeah. a fancy hotel, mm-hmm. but it's for these apartments. So almost from the beginning, the Chelsea had more prospective tenants than available apartments. So, quote, from the beginning, the Chelsea was a home for eccentrics and the artists were there by design. So the Chelsea was built in the center of New York's theater district and the nearby venues were Booth's Theater and the Grand Opera House. And it it was a good spot for a building that was initially designed to help house artists that worked these venues. So, yeah, they, they were close by. You know, they could get back and forth to the to the club they were playing or to the theater um, where they were in a show, whatever. You know, so it, it was convenient for these artists um, to, to where they were working. But, you know, it was kind of like um, it, it was kind of like Tootsie's is to the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. You know, it was it was the hangout. It was, you know, where, you know, songs were written. Over, you know, a beer at the bar, um, you know, same thing with the Chelsea, you know, um, stories were shared, um, you know, ideas were presented and, and, you know, modified and, you know, somebody is, somebody's thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? How am I going to end this book? And then somebody comes in and does something crazy or like, that's it, mm. you know, because the environment just fueled that creativity. Right, right, exactly. Now, according to the real estate record and guide, many construction suppliers and workers moved into the apartments rather than accept monetary compensation. So they chose housing over Mm. monetary compensation. Now, the building also attracted wealthy widows, government officials, and a variety of other middle and upper class professionals. But we're not 100% sure of the names of these early guests because Hubert refused to disclose the names of the residents for the social registers. So that was actually probably kind of nice for the the tenants there. Sure. Yeah. Keep everything on the down low and you you don't get bothered. Yeah. You could move in as a wealthy widow and Hubert wasn't going to go spread your name and you'd have all these suitors trying to come up to your room and get your money and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Now, the early residents who rented the apartments moved from other apartment buildings in the area, and there were 30 servants, quote unquote, 
for the building that were mostly immigrants from Germany and Ireland. Now, in 1898, Lippincott's monthly magazine described the Chelsea as one of Manhattan's, quote, literary shrines, in part because of the president, the presence of residents such as Edward Eggleston and Jane Cunningham Crowley. The early residents included uh, painter uh, Rufus Fairchild uh, Zogbaum, and he was an illustrator for news magazines in the 19th century. So he did all the, you know, if you had a comic strip or something that was written, he was the illustrator for a lot of different news magazines. American poet Henry Abbey and stage actress Annie Russell. But after World War II, as the hotel declined and the room prices fell. So in its later years, the Chelsea Hotel became famous due to the people who stayed there. You know, it already had this air of eclectic personalities. Yeah, there was a mystique about it. Yeah, right, which is what drew a lot of these later personalities to it. Mm -hmm. But because of these later personalities, the Chelsea Hotel kind of got put on the map as as this, this is the place you go hang out. It became a temporary home for different musicians that were in town, like Bob Dylan, Patti Smith, Jimi Hendrix, Bob Marley, Joni Mitchell, Mick Jagger, uh, Jackson Pollock, Dee Dee Ramone, Mitch Hedberg was there, Dennis Hopper, and Chet Baker. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what's interesting about the list of these folks? That, that list right there. If you... You know, look at how many of the names are associated with some type of tragedy, you know, yeah. or they, they themselves had a tragic death or their lifestyle was well known to be, you know, very, uh, very loose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. putting it lightly. Yep. Now, if you go a little bit further back, Mark Twain, William Dean Howells and the painter John Sloan all stayed there as well. Well, Jack Kerouac. We all know who Jack Kerouac is, right? Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. He stayed there uh, as well, and while there, he wrote On the Road. Yeah. You ever read that? You ever read On the Road? No. It's um, it's 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 a great it's a great book. Um, it's it's a stream of consciousness. Mm. Okay, it's just like it's like you're you're right there. I mean, it's, he's not really telling a story. He's just like, it's like, he's telling you what's going on. What mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. He's just, he's just like, he's on the phone with you. Oh yeah. 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 Hey, we're sitting in the back of a truck. Hey, we just stopped and got some whiskey cause it's so cold. Yeah. yeah. You know, and stuff see, like that. Jack Kerouac. I know who he, who he is, but I never got into a lot of his stuff for a similar reason. It yeah. just. It didn't fit what I was looking for at the time when I was looking for something to read. I, I, I and that's why on the road never got in my, it, in my reading list. It's not something you're going to get assigned at school. I can tell you that. That's true. You know? That's true. <laughs> well, of the people that stayed there, Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke stayed there and they came up with the movie 2001, a space odyssey while they were staying there. 
And one flew over the cuckoo's nest was supposedly written there by uh, Milos Foreman. And it was apparently based on the crazy amounts of artists that walked the halls of the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and you, if you, if you're familiar uh, with Milos Foreman's uh, other films and other works, you're kind of like, man, he was a little over, over the cuckoo's nest, (laughs) Um, you know, probably from his time at Chelsea. You know, it it just fits. Mm -hmm. When I saw his name come up as, you know, one of the past residents there, I was like, oh, yeah, I would I would absolutely have thought this, you know, this guy's here. Um, You know, great filmmaker, um, you know, a fantastic writer, but there's enough of a twist there. You're like, man, okay, what was he thinking? Yeah. 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 This is what he was thinking. He was thinking <laughs> about all this, you know, all this stuff that was just around these folks all the time. Yep. And if you watch uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and you think, okay, the Chelsea was based or, or it was based on what happened to the Chelsea, mm-hmm. I think I would have been afraid of yeah. the Chelsea. Like personally, yeah. I, I, I don't think I could have stayed there. Now, Arthur Miller moved into room number 614 after he divorced Marilyn Monroe. Bob Dylan wrote Sarah, the song Sarah, in number 211. And the Chelsea became the background for uh, Andy Warhol and Paul Morrissey's Chelsea Girls, which, go figure, he named it after, you know. Now, William Burroughs wrote The Third Man, and Jack Kerouac apparently had a one night stand there with Gore Vidal. No well, kidding. Yep. There's another, um, I, I left another, well, I'll just tell you because Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Uh, while he was at the Chelsea, he was dating Janice Joplin and apparently he got a little <laughs> from her while there. <laughs> okay. And he wrote a second song about it, and he called it Chelsea Hotel Number 2. And there's one quote I had to leave out, but just go listen to the, the, the Chelsea Hotel Number 2 song, and you'll know the line and lines I had to leave out. But the quote I can put in here, he said, quote, I, I remember you well in the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. But there's uh-huh. another song that gets really deep into what they did <laughs> when they were... <laughs> At the Chelsea. So it's an interesting song. But I, it's funny because I don't I don't associate Leonard Cohen with Janice Joplin at all. No, no. I mean, no. that'd be like saying, Oh, uh, you know, the the guys the 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 men the, the men and women from ABBA, you know, were partying with Motley Crue. Like, wait a minute, yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. But that's what it's like to me. <laughs> I, I I use the term dating to be polite. <laughs> yeah, were, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, Madonna, she had a photo shoot for her book, Sex, in room 822 there. And Mariah Carey apparently shot a music video there. Now, Dylan Thomas, which I don't know if you know who Dylan Thomas is. I'm not very familiar with Dylan Thomas. I know who he is, yep. but not very familiar. The, the poet. 
Yeah. Yeah. He died in his bedroom in 1953 at the Chelsea Hotel, having boasted that day he downed 18 whiskeys. Quote, I've had 18 straight whiskeys, said Thomas, after polishing off a bottle of old granddad on the last day of his life. Quote, I think that's the record. Yeah. So, you know, if I if, if I had that much whiskey, I think I might die too. And I love whiskey. But yeah. That's a lot. So, um, let me tell you why I, I know who Dylan Thomas is. Okay. Um, so if, if, as, if I'm remembering correctly, do you remember the movie back to school, the Rodney Dangerfield movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's, he's got the, his, the romantic interest for Rodney Dangerfield in that movie is, um, Sally Kellerman. Okay. So they're both, you know, they're both older, you know, she's the professor and he learns, um, the, the Dylan Thomas poem, uh, that has the line, you know, do not go gentle into that good night. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a line there where he's like, you know, what something, they said something about Dylan and he was like, Oh, I love Bob Dylan. Like hmm. it's not the Dylan I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, that's that's why I know who Dylan Thomas is. Oh, okay. I was okay. I was never I was never into poetry ever. Um, especially not like modern poetry. You know, like like Dylan Thomas, who yeah, you know, from what I know, wrote some you know fairly fairly dark stuff, but very deep. Yeah, he wrote some bangers. That's for sure. Yeah, I just I never really got into it. Yeah, I, I wasn't a big poetry guy. I I like Poe and Shakespeare and stuff, but newer poetry I didn't get into. Well, Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen were there as well. And I know Matt will talk more about them later, but Cheryl Tippins said, quote, when the Great Depression struck, the hotel was threadbare and lost much of its sheen. Then in the 1960s and 70s, Emergent drug culture and a plethora of social stressors and financial problems took a toll. More recently, she says, greed-fueled real estate transactions filled the pockets of investors while causing untold heartache for the residents. So, the Chelsea actually closed its doors in 2011 to do renovations. But there was a handful of people that still lived there in the falling apart rooms. But... Then there was a documentary crew that came in. It was headed by Belgian directors Emile Van Impt and Maya uh, Duverde. The film, uh, they filmed the day-to-day lives of the, quote, bohemians that remained in the Chelsea because they had nowhere else to go. Quote, we wanted to stay with the residents that really stayed there all their lives, Van Impt told uh, Nick Chen from an other magazine. Quote, so it's not Joni Mitchell, Patti Smith, or Bob Dylan. For us, it was a political engagement to make the people who participated to create those big names really visible. Without them, Bob Dylan wouldn't have been Bob Dylan. Patti Smith wouldn't have found her way. And You don't become a great artist from scratch. It's because of a variety of people who exchange their creativity. Yeah. So just like we mentioned earlier, the the environment, the people there, 
helped these people create their masterpieces, create their works of art because of the eccentric culture that was at the Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, you, regardless of your, your medium, you don't become a great artist without experiences. Right. And, you know, if you've, if you've ever, you know, thought, Hey, you know what? I, you know, this, this songwriter, this painter, this author, they, they have some fascinating story about, you know, how they grew up or what something that happened to them early in life or something that, that changed their direction at some point. It's just like you, you, you don't get to that, that pinnacle unless you go through some pretty wild experiences, right? you know, to, to, it's almost like, it's like salt, you know, everybody, you know, you eat bland food. You're like, it's good, you know, but it's, it's not seasoned. These artists were seasoned and the, the Chelsea hotel served as a large part of that seasoning, just dumping them in this melting pot with, you know, people from, you know, every kind of imaginable artistic background. I right. mean, you know, from, and, from Jackson Pollock to Joni Mitchell, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's how they expanded their craft. All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about one of our newest sponsors, Factor Meal. If you haven't heard of Factor, Factor is delicious, ready-to-eat meals uh, that make eating better very, very easy. Well, whatever whatever you got planned, whatever you're doing, you can be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, which I've done, mm-hmm. uh, calorie smart, which I've done, <laughs> vegan and veggie, I've never done, uh, and, and so many more. Um, there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You know, you want to eat better, but you want it to be a little bit easier? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. That's right. They've got two-minute meals, so you can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They've got snacks, smoothies, and more, and you can discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday, you know, you need the midday food. They've got midday bites that you can get, and they've got even more. Yeah, the breakfast would be what I would gravitate to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like eating a, a better breakfast and a very light lunch. Yeah. yeah. You know, so this would be a great thing to get those that good, nutritious breakfast in. And, and quick. You, yeah, you don't have to worry so much about lunch. Yep, you don't have to sit there and stand over the stove for 30 minutes cooking eggs and pancakes or whatever. You can get the, the breakfast, heat it up, and go. And Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast upscale options done easily. And they've got a flexible schedule. You know, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week 
Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. There's no prep, no mess meals, and Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. And it's great for, like, Ashley can take some to work, and instead of going out at lunch, she can get a chef-crafted meal, just throw in the, the work microwave and heat it up, and it's like she went out, but she didn't have to spend the money to go out, didn't have to worry about going out, finding a new restaurant, whatever, ordering. It's right there. She can take it yeah. with her, and I can do it too. I can heat it up and sit here at my desk while I'm editing audio and eat what looks like a chef-crafted meal in my boxers while I'm editing audio. It's great. <laughs> we didn't need that visual. Yeah, everybody needs that visual. <laughs> so if if that visual helped you and it made you want to get Factor Meals, which I don't know who it wouldn't, uh, you can head over to factormeals.com slash grave 50 G-R-A-V-E-5-0, and use our code GRAVE50, and you'll get 50% off. That's right. If you want to make your mealtime go much faster and be delicious, you know, just go to factormeals.com slash GRAVE50. That's code GRAVE50 at factormeals.com slash GRAVE50 and get 50% off. Yeah, and it's like I've heard several artists say, and I've, I've talked to some that have said it directly to me, you know, your first album is the best because you've lived life up until that point. After that, you spend a lot of time on the road. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the road, getting in a bus, driving to a venue, getting out playing, getting back on the bus, driving to the next venue, you're not experiencing much. Yeah. So what are you going to write a song about? Uh, being on the road? Mm -hmm. You know, the it's experiencing life, experiencing different things that happen to you, ups and downs, and the, the crazy people that you run into that help you write these good songs. Yeah. So a lot of the, the stuff that was there was because of these crazy people. Yeah. The... the the personalities that they met, that they were able to craft a song or craft a painting around. Yeah. And I mean, you know, growing up in Nashville and you haven't lived here for what, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you and I both, we, we knew tons of, of songwriters, famous ones, struggling ones, you know, yep. people that just said, Hey, listen to this song I wrote. And you're like, okay. And then you're like, Holy cow. You know, yeah. that's amazing. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, you know, you said that about the first album being the best, you know, you got these people, they're writing these songs cause they're trying to make it they you know, they're pouring their heart and soul into these songs. And yeah, but like a third album after you, you know, that first one made you famous, uh -huh. you know, now, now you're writing songs to just try to keep, keep it going. And that's yeah. much harder. I've always thought that, those comeback albums, you know, that those artists that kind of, you know, faded out mm -hmm. and then, mm -hmm. then that, you know, you find out something crazy has happened for the last 10 years in their life. And then they have a comeback album. You're like, holy cow, they're back. You yeah. know, this is yeah. fantastic. 
um, it's it's experience. You know, it's yep, just exactly. You know, hey, I, you're right. I can't I can't live life on a tour bus. You know, I, I can't I can't sit down in a you know two million dollar mansion and write mm-hmm. songs about <laughs> struggling yeah. or anything else. You any know? song I've ever written that was any good has been because something bad has happened to me. Yeah. Something crazy. Yeah. You know, when I'm happy and living my normal life, songs don't come. Yeah. So you've got to put yourself in places like the Chelsea Yeah. for a while where there's stuff happening around you all the time. You see good parts of life. You see bad parts of life. You see the, like uh, Tippins was saying, you see the drug culture. Mm-hmm. You see the addiction and you're able to write songs about it. That's exactly right. So w- knowing all that. And, and and there's all this magic that's happening in the Chelsea Hotel. It's it's gonna leave um, some energy, good, bad, yep. and otherwise. Okay, and and all of that energy over you know a, a century, uh, maybe what has worked to hold on to these spirits that are reported being in the Chelsea Hotel. Um, the other thing is with all of those names we mentioned, um, and especially combining the drug culture, there was a lot of death, um, Mm -hmm. at the Chelsea, even, even before, you know, the sixties and seventies, you know, early on, there were some, you know, really horrific things that occurred there. Yeah. For, For example, society girl, Almira Wilcox. She died of an overdose of sleep medication in the Chelsea in 1908. Ooh. Okay. That's early. Yeah. And it was assumed that this was probably a suicide. Mm-hmm. The very next year in 1909, artist Frank Kavecki, uh shot himself after he was robbed of money belonging to the Hungarian Sick and Benevolent Society. Hmm. So he, he had he had all this money. He was robbed, and now that um, the benevolent society was without all of this money, and it was his fault. Hmm. So he shot himself in the hotel. That's nineteen oh nine. You know that that's a story you think you hear from like nineteen seventy six or something. Yeah. Now in nineteen twenty two, Etelka Graf, who was the daughter of a well to do silk merchant, um cut off her own hand with industrial shears and jumped huh. out of a fifth floor window. And I got in my head, I'm sitting there thinking, what, what they were industrial shears. I, I, I pictured this giant pair of scissors, but I'm like, how do you cut your own hand off with a giant pair of scissors? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I, I found another article about this. This was like, uh, like a paper or a fabric cutter. Like it's got oh, uh, the yeah. big lever. The guillotine type Yeah, thing. big long blade. And you, of course, you measure out how much you need and pull it down. That is mm. what she used. And, and the story was is that when she did it, the pain was so intense that she just jumped out the window. Wow. Because I'm yeah. like, if you're going to jump out the window, why cut your hand off first? Yeah. You know, yeah, right. I, I don't understand, but obviously there were some problems there. But 1967, uh, Edie Sedgwick 
was high on a speedball, okay? And she set her room on fire. Dang. Yeah, Charles R. Jackson, who is author of The Lost Weekend, committed suicide there in 1968. And in 1974, Billy Maynard, who was a photographer that specialized in glam rock acts and trans performers, was mm-hmm. beaten to death in his room. Dang. Okay? So There's a lot of stuff that happened. Suicide and violent deaths um, mm-hmm. were unfortunately were commonplace in the Chelsea Hotel. That's gonna that's gonna leave a mark. Sure. Now, one of the most popular deaths involved a woman by the name of Nancy Spungen. Now, if you've ever heard that name before, I'm going to tell you why you know it. In life, she was the girlfriend of the bassist of the group, the Sex Pistols. Yep, Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. Now, Nancy had left home when she was 17 uh, and immediately moved to New York City and got a job as a stripper. So it said that she enjoyed following these bands around like Aerosmith and the Ramones. But in the year 1977, she relocated to London and met the lead singer of the Sex Pistols. Hmm. Now, despite the fact that she showed an interest for the lead singer, who's Johnny Rotten, He wasn't interested in Nancy. So when she realized that he wasn't interested, she started to move in on Sid Vicious. Oh, yeah. And soon they started a relationship and even moved in together. Now, the Sex Pistols Pistols officially broke up in 1978, and she and Sid moved to the Chelsea Hotel. It said that the couple lived in room 100 under different names than they were known for in the public. But it's been said that the couple continued to delve deeper into drugs and that there were many heated arguments between them. On October 12th in 1978, Nancy was discovered dead in the bathroom floor of the the room at at the Chelsea Hotel, and Sid was arrested for her murder. He got released and was awaiting trial when he took his last hit of heroin and died. Many believe that some of the famous ghosts at the hotel are that of Nancy Spungen and Sid Vicious. Yep. Okay. So famous ghosts, you know, both of, both of them died, um, tragic deaths in the hotel, you know, and something I heard about that, um, there was a lot of controversy around that because, some people are saying, well, the drug dealer killed Nancy and then Sid took the blame for it or yeah. that there was something else weird that happened and he was taking the blame for it. But not only was there a murder and then an OD, but there's crazy mystery behind it too. So. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that, a lot of people thought that you know, Sid was guilty and that he committed suicide, but there's, you know, others that say he didn't mean to kill himself. He was just trying to, to get high, right? you know, to forget about everything that was going on. Now, the next death that's considered to be quite popular when it comes to the hotel is that, that of poet and writer Dylan Thomas, who you talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of people that claim Dylan Thomas died of alcohol poisoning. As Adam said, he had 18 whiskeys in a row and yep. bragged about it. Now, based on reports from doctors, 
it was established that uh, Thomas was suffering from bronchitis, pneumonia, and a relatively high white blood count, meaning that he was fighting an infection. Mm -hmm. Since his death, he has apparently joined the ranks of the famous ghosts that are said to haunt the Chelsea Hotel. And many claim that they have seen his face on numerous occasions, especially around, around the room 206, which is where he passed away. Hmm. Now, with any kind of haunted hotel, the staff are the people to talk to. Okay. Yeah. They're the ones that are going to be there. You know, they're the ones that are going to be watching. You know, they are going to experience this stuff more than you know, even the residents in many cases. So there was a night security man named Timmer. T-I-M-O-R. I, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Yep. Timmer, Timor. Uh, Timor, oh. maybe. Now, he told resident Timothy Connor Sullivan, who was a musician, that a call girl named Victoria, who dressed and styled herself like Betty Boop, died of AIDS while living at the hotel. Sometime later, the room's new tenant called Timor, Timur, Timor, 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 um, and, and asked that her room be changed. She looked in the mirror and saw the image of Victoria staring back at her with the Betty Boop bangs and all. Good grief. Yeah. That'd and freak you out, man. <laughs> that's a, that, that apparently was a common thing. Is people going? I need another room. <laughs> There's already somebody here. You know, yeah. <laughs> and it's you currently have a tenant here. They're scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the the Chelsea's had its fair share of the typical haunted hotel aspects. You know there are reports of unexplained voices, presences, and energies, lights and faucets going on and off. These vague feelings of fear and sadness, uh, or or having a chill, um, in in certain cold spots in the hotel, but the hauntings in the Chelsea are as varied as the artists that frequented there, such as a blurry looking apparition that walked right through a bedroom wall, or mm. a skeleton in a photograph that wasn't there before. Oh, great. And a Depression-era urchin who kicked a woman in the shins and vanished. Yeah. That would be weird. How about this one? A floating, disembodied clown head that looks like Dylan Thomas. That's that's worse. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> and uh, there's hypnotic voices that lures passerbys into a womb-like purple room. Weird. Yeah. And there's an old-fashioned woman near the ice machine said uh, she smells of patchouli and she's crying about her, quote, beloved. Huh. And there is an energy that handed a guest a glow-in-the-dark frisbee in room 915. <laughs> that, that's, okay. okay. That's probably one of the weirdest things I know. that we have heard. As far as hauntings go, <laughs> here's glow in the dark frisbee man. Yeah. And then poof, disappeared. That's right. But I want to know did he say, like, did he keep the frisbee or did the frisbee go with the ghost when the well, ghost Yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
if he gave it to her, then now she's got this glow in the dark frisbee, and the ghost is gone. Yeah, spectral. I want you to have this spectral you know? frisbee. Mm-hmm. I'd keep that frisbee. Yeah, that's right. What if you threw the frisbee and then it disappeared? Oh man, that would suck. <laughs> but uh, this one, <laughs> I've nowhere in in all the years we've done this, all the research, all the books, all the movies videos everything have i ever heard anything quite like larry the talkative hipster ghost (laughs) (laughs) he was a ghost before it was cool to be a ghost that's right that's right so larry the ghost is probably the chelsea's most famous resonant spirit now well with a description like that yeah yeah why not in my head he looks like leisure suit larry you know, from the video game. You know, the white suit, wide lapel. Yep. The main thing about Larry is that he never stops talking. And this is upsetting the other ghosts. <laughs> because they're all so eager to tell their stories once they find someone who can hear or see them. <laughs> but Larry always pushes his way to the front and starts lecturing in such a loud voice that the others can't get a word in edgewise. That sounds right. But the thing about Larry is he wants people to know these three things. One, it's what's inside the Chelsea that's real. Everything outside of it in the so-called city is an illusion. That that sounds right. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's only in here that's real, man. <laughs> Everything outside is an illusion, man. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty good. Thanks. It's like a Cheech and Chong movie. I've had my time around some of those people, man. (laughs) I I know those people, man. Uh, Larry also says that there was something there long before the Chelsea was built that is the source of the place's creative power. Hmm. And lastly, it's, it's not about the product, the specific art that's created. It's about the life that's led at the Chelsea Hotel. That's what's important, man, says Larry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, enough people have heard this that you will find this exact thing in so many stories Mm -hmm. and documentaries Mm -hmm. about the Chelsea Hotel. I mean, almost verbatim. It's about the life at the (laughs) Chelsea, man. Not what you create, man. That's right. You can create anything as long as you lead a cool life. <laughs> I would love it if he sounded like that. I mean, that <laughs> I would be he, the greatest. I bet can he you, does. Can you imagine an EVP and that's what <laughs> that's what you catch? You know? Yeah. Like, Is there the anybody hell? here that wants to talk to us? Hey, it's me, Larry, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a guy. It's Larry. There's a ghost here named Larry. Yeah. I'm a hipster, man. This but, is real. But, you know, some some well-known people that have stayed in the Chelsea have had paranormal experiences while, you know, while they were living there. That's um, cool. Like novelist Sparkle Hater. Sparkle Hater. I, I really yeah. didn't think I was going to have trouble saying that, but when I tried to say it, together that that messed my tongue up 
I'm a glitter hater. Is that the yeah. same thing as a sparkle <laughs> hater? But but she uh she occupied a room on the third floor that once belonged to a drug dealer who was wanted by the police for allegedly keeping a woman prisoner there. Hmm. I mean this this stuff's hardcore, man. Yeah, that's crazy. But the next occupant of that room were a couple who became well known for their violent domestic disputes. But while Sparkle was away on book tours, she says that her neighbors report hearing typing coming from her apartment, despite the fact that it's supposed to be empty. And she's also quoted as reporting, I often saw the shadow of a crouched woman in a corner of my room late at night and heard weeping. When I walked toward it, it would disappear. Hmm. Now that would be, that'd be freaky. That would be really freaky. Just to hear weeping in the corner of your room. I mean, you know, it's one thing to have a ghost in your room. It's another thing to have someone's tortured soul. Yeah. In your room. Yep. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that, that would be awful. Mm-hmm. You go over and try to help. Maybe I'm going to console this ghost. And then they just disappear. Mm-hmm. Their, their lot in the afterlife is not to be consoled. Right. Now, artist Jennifer Elise Shapiro reports, there was definitely something going on on the 10th floor. I could feel the energy. I've had some moments where my hair just stood up and I knew I had to run and get off that floor. Hmm. One time around 1997, she says, my roommate saw a ghost of a man standing in our kitchen in the middle of the night around two in the morning. She said, it was crazy. And it's, and it scared me. I'm Hmm. like, yeah, you know, you, you wake up, you go to the kitchen and there's already somebody in there drinking your milk, you know, Mm -hmm. it'd scare me too. Celebrity photographer, Lisa Ackerman. She lived at the Chelsea between 2000 and 2013. So she was there after it was officially Mm -hmm. closed. Her ghost is unusual because she knew her personally. Okay. And it wasn't a human. Really? Yeah. Ackerman says, the only ghost I can say I encountered was my dog, Maggie. Really? Yeah. She says, after she died in 2012, I'd feel something jump up on my bed and plop down at my feet. When I would look, I didn't see anything. This would happen for me time to time until I moved away. Oh, that's wild. Now, look, I love my dogs. Okay. If, if I thought my dog's ghosts were going to come back and live in my house, I'd be okay with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, at my old house there where we started this show, um, Ellie, my Jack Russell passed away. That's right. And I swear multiple times I saw Ellie laying on the bed or I felt her lay down on the bed. So I, I know exactly what she's talking. I about. remember that. Yeah. I yeah. remember you telling me about that. And yeah, I'm fine. If any of my pets want to come hang out after they pass. Yeah. Come, come on. on, bring it. You know, I, I still want Dallas yeah. <laughs> walking around. Yeah. I miss that boy. Oh, I, I, know. I, I know. I wish he'd come visit. Great dog. I mean, yep. if y'all don't remember, go back and listen to the early shows and you can hear Dallas's collar when he would, he would shake mm-hmm. his head because he'd lay in there while we were recording. 
Yep. I mean, he right was behind perfect. us or. Yeah. 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 And the only peep he ever made was he'd move or something and you could hear his collar. But yeah, that but, was the best dog I've ever owned. He it, can come hang out anytime. Yeah. If I ever was eating anything, you know, if I come in, I'm like eating some candy or something. We had, we had like that whorehound candy and stuff. We mm-hmm. would eat. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, Dallas would come and he would sit under the table right there at my legs, <laughs> yep. you know, and I'd reach down and rub him, you know, but I mean, he was just like, you're eating. And then once, if I wasn't eating anymore, then he'd go back and get in his bed. Yep. Head <laughs> right there between your knees, waiting for you to drop something. Yep. Yep. Please, please drop something. Um, have you ever seen that show celebrity ghost stories? Yeah, but. I mean, I've, I've watched like a, uh, maybe an episode. Of, yeah. But I've, I've seen a couple. I remember it was on now. This story comes from that show okay. and it's one of the best known spectral encounters at the Chelsea was reported by Michael Imperioli of the Sopranos. Hmm. Okay. When he was on celebrity ghost stories in 2010, he talked about having lived in the hotel for a couple of months in 1996, which was prior to him, you know, becoming famous. And he encountered a weeping woman in the hallway. He said she was That's dressed creepy. in 19th century garb. She lay hunched on the floor, weeping inconsolably. Sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Then a light fixture behind him made a popping sound where the light bulb had just burnt out. And when he turned to look and then looked back, he said the woman was gone. Oh, wow. It wasn't until a week or two afterward that he spoke with some neighbors in the building and he learned about Mary. Now, Mary's tale is one of the most famous ghost stories at the Chelsea. She was a survivor of the Titanic. And she... Really? Yeah. And 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 the Chelsea um, housed... Uh, a lot of the survivors when they when they were brought back from the Titanic disaster. But the bad thing about Mary's situation is in in the sinking of the ship, she lost her husband. She was depressed and distraught, and she ended up at the Chelsea, and it said that she hung herself on the fifth floor. Mm. Now, these days, Mary is encountered at the western end of the building. She's often seen under the archway in the hallway, and it's said that Mary is always looking at herself in the mirror, which Hmm. gives her a reputation as being the vain ghost. Yeah. V-A-I-N. Like, you know, like vain, like in your in your arm. Yeah. Um, Like varicose vein. Yeah, you get it. Y'all, y'all didn't need me to explain that. (laughs) But one thing to remember. Mary does not like to be bothered by the living. So if you do see her, do not expect any welcoming words or gestures. Mary perceives the living as an annoyance. Said, little wonder that she gave Michael Imperioli a sign that he was not wanted in her ghostly space. Mm-hmm. Now, another famous spirit around the Chelsea is that of Nadia. Now, 10 years after Mary had hung herself, the New York Times reported a young woman who had jumped out of the window. Now, Nadia's story goes like this. She had grown up in the hotel. She was the spoiled daughter 
of a wealthy silk merchant. Remember, we talked about this earlier. Yep. Um, whose family lived in, in a very posh suite in the hotel. Now, she was an artist, but her plans to pursue her vision were cut short when she met a handsome songwriter and ran away with him to get married. Now, Nadia's husband eventually slipped into alcoholism and left her alone with her two young children. Nadia returned to the Chelsea and pleaded to her father to return, and he said she could, but only under the condition that she would take on the family chores and help bring in income. I mean, these people are wealthy, you know. But I guess, you know, the dad was like, if you're going to come back, you're going to work. You know, yep. you're going to earn it. But um, but life had become really too much to bear. She had no time for her art anymore, and eventually she'd had enough. She is seen roaming the halls and the sidewalk on 23rd Street, where she is said to have died. She is seen as a transparent apparition with a long, wispy gown. And they say it's on moonless nights that Nadia can be seen flitting outside the windows of the upper floors of the Chelsea Hotel, her long hair and wispy white gown flowing behind her. She wants to come back to the Chelsea Hotel, but she can't find her way back inside. Oh, that's weird. That's a, but it's, you know, it's a neat story. I mean, it's it's a cool story. Um, you know, who knows if that story is, is a hundred percent accurate. I mean, we, we know about, um, you know, a wealthy silk merchant that was a resident there. Um, but, but now we've got two, two different ghost stories that are kind of tied to that individual. Um, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, it's hard to say, but there's a it's weird that she's trapped outside the hotel. Yeah. Like, well, that she can't get back in. She, well, from what they say, what what they said in the in in the articles is she was another one that jumped. Okay, mm -hmm. she jumped. So when she hit the sidewalk on Twenty Third Street, you know that's where she met her end. And I guess it's kind of a, a a poetic thing that you know she was she was wanting to come back in in life, and then died on the sidewalk outside, and mm. now her spirit is tormented to get in yeah it, it is it's very poetic so i mean it, it it sounds like a lot of people have seen this spirit and this is kind of the story they attach to it you know yeah. it, it, like i said it may not be 100 percent accurate it's a good story um yeah. but the haunting the haunting is definitely there you know um the naughtiest spirit is seen quite frequently um uh, or was seen quite frequently by the residents there now, I want to I want to close with um, some more from Cheryl Tippins. Um, she's the author of the book "The Dream Palace: The Life and Times of the New York's Legendary Chelsea Hotel." Um, Adam has quoted her uh, several times in referencing, you know, the the people and the art and the culture around the hotel. But Cheryl also had some paranormal experiences that she includes in the book. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote her. So I'm just, I'm essentially reading to you from, from Cheryl Tippins. She says, when I first began researching the history of the Chelsea hotel, I decided to do what I could to research the stories of the Chelsea's hauntings as well. Since there were so many of them, 
I did this by checking into the hotel with a medium that I knew so that she could give me her take on the ghost situation. We stayed together in room 325 for four nights or so. The medium confirmed that the building is extraordinarily well populated with ghosts. She said they fill the lobby, constantly trying to tell their stories to the people sitting there. Wow. They, they, they linger in the elevator, riding it up and down. And she says at night in our room, she said they crowded in around our beds by the dozens while we were mm. sleeping, dressed in clothes from different eras from the 19th century on. So she said that, that crazy. all it was, she said it was almost as if they knew that she was there to write a book to write the story and that all of these spirits wanted to advise Cheryl on how to tell the story of the <laughs> Chelsea hotel. Yeah. But she said most couldn't get a word in edgewise because one of the ghosts dating from the 1960s, they figured that from his clothing style and his speech dominated the crowd each night pushing to the front of the others and taking over or talking over them so that the medium could understand only his voice. His name was Larry. Larry is such a jerk. <laughs> she says, and he wanted me to know that the point of the story was not the art that made the Chelsea, but rather the life that was lived there. <laughs> Good Lord. And she says, this was a direct quote from the medium. It's not about the art, man. It's about the life. <laughs> you know, I don't know much about Larry, but I already don't like it. I just, I thought that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, that we, you know, we've got all these stories about Larry and what he says. And then here's this medium that comes in and she hears the same story. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine that you're a ghost, you're trapped at the Chelsea, and you've got to deal with this jerk <laughs> all the time? Like, for eternity, you've got to deal with Larry. It's not about the art, man. Larry, <laughs> if you weren't dead, I'd kill you already. So Tippins goes on and says, so I explored the entire building with the medium. At each floor, she seemed to have profound emotional experiences. On one floor? A child ghost kicked her, which there's another story about, you know, people getting kicked in the shins yep. on another. She saw an elegantly dressed female ghost eternally arranging her hair before a now non-extinct mirror. There's Mary on another. She says she had the sense of a gray eminence that others have called the Chelsea's gray man hmm. in the basement. She felt overwhelmed by the remnants of a sense of evil, which again goes back to what Larry uh, has been quoted as, as saying that there was something there, something there that, that, you know, a, a, a power or a presence that fueled the, the creativity, but it may have yeah. also fueled a lot of the tragedy as well. Yep. By the end of our time there, we were exhausted, as though we had spent months there instead of days. 
Riding downtown to my apartment in a cab in the bright afternoon light, we felt as if we'd left one world for another entirely different one. The medium said she never wanted to go back to that place, which she Hmm. described as more haunted than any building she'd ever encountered except for the New York Public Library at 42nd Street. Oh, wow. And that's our next show. No, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, But just, I mean, just a fascinating place. I mean, it is. I mean, we've talked about famous ghosts, celebrity ghosts, celebrities that have ghost experiences, but nothing like this. I mean, nothing like this. No, Um, and the the visual image I get of when she said that the lobby is filled with ghosts and that they crowd around your bed, you know, it, it, it makes sense Yeah, with the, the history that's been there. If so many people stayed there in life and then they stayed there in death, that it would be crowded like that, mm-hmm. but you don't hear it from other places. Mm-hmm. You don't hear mediums say it's wall to wall spirits in here. Right. Yeah, I've, I've never heard anything. They have like to go that. searching for spirits, or they have to, you know, one room will have this one spirit, and then five rooms away, you've got another spirit, or the next floor. But this is like you're walking through a sea of them. Yeah, and you know, we have friends that are mediums, and you know, sometimes it's it's a it's a voice, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a feeling, it's a presence. Sometimes it's just images you know she experienced full on i can see these people i can tell you what they're wearing i can hear them mm-hmm. talking yep. you know I, that i mean it's almost to the point where you're like that that's just unbelievable but mm-hmm. the thing about it is there are so many people that have had similar experiences right that they can't all be made up. They just right. they just can't. And well, Larry's got to be there. Larry, if everybody's hearing the same thing. <laughs> It'd be worth it just to go meet Larry. God, knowing Larry. that you could turn around and leave at any point. You know. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if I was stuck there with him, I, that would be a whole nother thing. But yeah. if you could just go there and catch him saying that, like you said on EVP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or. You know, one of those ghost boxes or something. I wonder how he comes through on a ghost box. Oh, yeah. If it's... Probably just as annoying. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, but what do you guys think? You know, do you, you know has the, has the uh, mystique and um, fascination with the Chelsea Hotel been what's fueled all these ghost stories? Or is there more to it? Do are Is this place just loaded with the spirits of you know, artists that were, you know, tortured, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, they fought their own demons right there inside the hotel with, you know, people from similar walks of life. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there is some kind of, uh, some kind of presence there that, that drew that culture there, that, that Mm -hmm. fueled the creativity, um, you know, that helped, um, Milos Foreman, right. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, or helped, uh, uh, Jack Kerouac, you know, lay out the, the stream of consciousness for, that was on the road. 
you know, what do you think? I mean, I know we've got listeners in New York. Uh, you've probably, you may have even seen this place. You know, we'd love to hear what you think. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. It is called The Graveyard. We've got thousands of members. We, you know, we hear some amazing stories, personal experiences. Um, you know, we, we share a lot of dad jokes in there. Mm-hmm. And it's a private group. So, you know, you you can feel safe, you know, share that crazy story that your grandmother told you or that thing you saw when you woke up one night. Um, we we want to hear it. OK, and nobody's going to call you a nut job or anything else. You know, you can share those stories and it, you don't have to worry about going to work the next day. And, yeah. you know, somebody they just call us the nut jobs. They don't <laughs> call right. you. We no. we are the nut jobs. So mm-hmm. Uh, but when you're after doing that, you can slide over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And there you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And we always want to thank everybody that has donated to the show. And remember, oh, yeah. for our $10 patrons, um, you're going to get access to the brand new show uh, that is coming out that came out this month. So uh, yep. go and check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, (laughs) for the Chelsea Hotel, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.